0: Welcome back to Joker Men. A podcast, a podcast about, about Bob Dylan. That's right. It was so cool when you came up with that um, tagline, Ian.
1: It's, uh, you know, some, sometimes uh, the the muse just speaks through you and, and it comes to you in a flash of light.
0: The mother of muses. Right. Perhaps. It's, perhaps. Yeah, like we in, are
1: like in rough and rowdy ways, which uh, has, as we uh, are talking right now, just been released to the uh the general public today uh although you obviously will be listening to this uh later uh after you have had some amount of time to familiarize yourself with bob's uh latest latest masterpiece
0: it's a post rough and rowdy
1: ways world
0: now that we're podcasting in does it feel any different to you
1: uh, you know, I, I I actually haven't even been outside today, so I can't say uh, that I uh, understand the ways in which the world has changed.
0: The rough and rowdy ways in which it's different.
1: Exactly. But uh, I I I feel I have changed. At least, um, you know, we we yeah. you and I got a little sneak peek, um, uh, courtesy of I think a friend of yours, an undisclosed source. Yes. Um, you know, a day, a day or two early, uh, and so I've already listened to it a few times, and I, I we, we probably shouldn't spend too much time here at the beginning of this episode digging into it, but suffice it to say, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm finding a lot to like so far. He's done it again. <laughs> no, he's, I mean, he's
0: really done it this time, is maybe what I should say, yes. um, rather. Uh, we're we're going to have a, an episode, a little special episode, I think, just devoted to our impressions, uh, of rough and rowdy ways, so that's something for you to look forward to. But to the more pressing matter at hand today, we are beginning to talk about a different album, an album called "New Morning," an old album called "New
1: Morning." Exactly, going back, uh, going back another fifty years, half century, uh, to nineteen seventy, the end of nineteen seventy, I believe, October something. 1970, right. to, uh, to, to the return to form uh, for Bob Dylan, according to, some, criti- according to yeah. some critics at the time. I guess let's just start
0: off. Is it a return to form for you? It, what do we think of New Morning going into it? Right.
1: Um, I mean, uh, New Morning is, is one of the ones that I've been more familiar with kind of throughout my life. I, I definitely spun it a lot when I you know, first had my like, wave of Bob Discovery however many years ago at this point uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm intimately familiar with it um, and it, you know it, it's, it, it's it's a good record it's a fun record I think um, coming back to it now more recently especially after spending as much time as we did on self-portrait, uh, talking about self-portrait and, and listening to it certainly I don't know, it, it seems to have lost its luster a little bit, New Morning has uh, I, I think that um, uh, coming on the heels of self-portrait yeah, like like we just said, uh, this 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 seemed to be uh, advertised as and received critically as Bob's you know uh, Bob is back sort of thing after the after the uh, cool reception that that self portrait received. Um, but you know, in this day and age, uh, again half, half a century on, I, I don't know that there's quite as much interesting. You know, New Morning might be more successful, I guess, uh, in terms of, of what he set out to achieve with it, um, certainly on a smaller scale than something like Self-Portrait. Um, but uh, but that's just it. It's a smaller scale kind of record, so I, I don't know that it is as rewarding um, to listen to or to um, you know to, to kind of think about it at this point. What, what do you think, Kevin? Overall, I have to agree. I think it's a
0: record that feels like a bit of a consolation prize for anybody who was clamoring for a new all originals LP from Bob. Right. You look at something like Nashville Skyline. And while it's, I think, kind of a a featherweight record in some ways, it's got a kind of by the seat of his pants, Dylan is, is entering Nashville. And there's a certain amount of thrill to that. Even that balances out maybe the lack of substance. There's a novelty to it. that that feels genuine and spontaneous, Mm. that helps float that record, Nashville Skyline. Skyline. And then you've got, on Self-Portrait, an even bigger gamble of how much can just pure spontaneity carry a record with mixed results. I think with New Morning, the spontaneity feels a little bit labored. It has bright spots, but it, it seems to lack like a real gravity, even on a conceptual level.
1: Right, right, sure. I, I see what you mean there. I, I think it, it lacks. This is the first record I think that we have talked about at this point: uh, John Wesley Harding, Nashville Skyline, Self Portrait, and now New Morning. This is the first record uh, of those four that lacks like sort of a, a unifying theme or, or um, purpose uh, that, that brings you through from beginning to end. John Wesley Harding obviously has the very different kind of uh, storytelling vibe um, and the the stripped-down sound. Nashville Skyline obviously got the country croon going. Self-Portrait is uh, is a mishmash. Like, the, the lack of a unifying theme is the unifying theme.
0: It is the theme, right. yeah. And, and it's interesting to listen to because it's so unusual. Right. I think that New Morning is... Bob Dylan's first genuine okay album that just is kind of middle of the
1: road yeah, I mean, I think as a record uh, you know we can we can look at this two different ways uh one as as a collection of individual songs, and uh, from that standpoint, I think new morning's actually really successful there's there's a couple there's a couple real jams and uh, gro- yeah. groovy little tunes that we'll get to talk about in a second for um, sure so on the micro level. You know, successful Uh, on the macro level, though, as as a as a cohesive, coherent artistic statement. You know, the way that the the album used to be put together and conceived of. um, You know, it it falls short a little bit, and I I think it is. I think I think we're now moving into like a new, discrete phase in Dylan's career at this point with this record, after after the first three. The end of nineteen seventy here with New Morning up until seventy five. Obviously, when we get uh, Blood on the Tracks. I think I think this this period of time here 70 to 75 is sort of just like a chill good times low stakes small screen kind of Dylan mm-hmm. especially you know uh, once we start getting into a couple of, of the next records all of which have redeeming qualities you know I, I, I will ride for planet waves any day. Um, but I think all of these records, uh, up until Blood on the Tracks, now share the same kind of Bob. Bob is Bob is no longer at the vanguard of what's going on with popular music, um, and he's just no. he's just kind of doing his thing. He's being Bob, and, and there's some great tunes on some of these records. But it isn't. Um, he's not shaking the world like he used to at this point.
0: And he knows it. Um, what reading I've done on the subject of this record in particular has been pretty interesting. I think we alluded and we. We alluded to the fact that this record comes out four months after uh, Self-Portrait. There's some evidence to suggest that this was being thought of in the midst of Self-Portrait being put together, but still quick. Right. I think that that rush, whatever it was, whether Dylan set out to put out two records in one year from the get-go, it's not exactly clear if that was his plan, whatever the case— the quick succession of these two records can't help but show on both of them. The sort of confusing mishmash, as you said, of types of songs and recordings that show up on Self-Portrait. And then with this record, you do see a uh, full-on all originals album. However, uh, at what cost is sort of the the thought here? And it might interest you to know that this album did not begin as a full-on originals record. In fact, this was by all accounts for most of its production to be another self-portrait type of affair. A mix of covers of other songs of other artists, some covers of older songs by Dylan. Believe it or not, there was a point during the process of, of working on New Morning where Blown in the Wind was something that <laughs> Dylan was working on as a redux of Blown in the Wind pretty heavily for a, a period of time.
1: I never knew that. I would be very curious to hear what, what the 1970 take on Blown in the Wind sounds like. I would be curious, too. But um, So
0: along with that, there was all these sessions also with George Harrison Um, that were happening around this time. Right, would
1: go on to cover the first song on this record, if not for you, uh, and kind of remake it as his own.
0: That's right. Um, There is a very strong George Harrison thread through this period of Dylan's career, a.k.a. they were friends and bros. They they liked to hang out. But uh, this record went through many permutations before it was... The final form, as the all originals, return to form. We got Dylan back record. That it would sort of end up being. If you're curious, would you like to know a first version of the uh, new morning track list?
1: I would love to hear it, Evan.
0: Okay, so imagine this: side one, Mister Bojangles; two, Ballad of Ira Hayes; three, The Man in Me; four, One More Weekend. Side two, new morning, father of night, sign on the window, tomorrow is a long time, an oldie, and the closer? Guess. Uh, Guess which would be the closer. uh, What's the funniest closer that could have been the closer? Winter Lude. Funnier than that.
1: Uh, If not for you. No, no, no. Ah.
0: You're not thinking galaxy brain enough. What would be the stupidest ending to this record? Dogs run free. That's right, right, baby. <laughs> so uh, that uh, mix obviously didn't happen. Right. Some right. of those would end up on the absolutely derided 1973 release called Dylan, which we'll have to get to at some point. Yeah. But suffice it to say that this whole period is sort of uh, what, what has been at times referred to as Dylan's amnesia period, where he was basically just kind of unsure of how he was doing what he used to do. Right? Uh, he He's kind of going through the motions. He's more so, I think, testing out the waters. What is it like for him to cover other songs? And he's really diving into that, and obviously that's something he's going to take up at various points in his career, but especially in the last few years mm-hmm. in real time for us. With the uh, shadows in the night era, the triplicate right the covers Dylan, the I suppose. For now, we can just begin with uh, what did this record end up being, and uh, the only way to do that is to start with track one of New Morning side
1: one track one baby. Uh, and uh, I gotta say, as far as side one track ones go, this is this is a, a pretty successful one um, for my money at least. I think if not for you, is uh, not the Deepest, uh, most brilliant kind of insight um, or, or lyric that Dylan's ever written, but uh, I, you know, I, I think it, it does do a good job of kind of setting the tone for what's about to follow, and uh, and I dig, I dig it from uh, from a a side one track one point of view.
0: I agree. Uh, I like this one a lot, and actually, it uh, reminds me a lot of a, sort of a Buddy Holly song. It, it has that sort of '50s pop sensibility and maybe a lot of that is due to the um, glockenspiel or the whatever that little this little beautiful yeah, little ding yeah little ding ding dong i
1: thought that might have been a vibraphone or a xylophone or something but glockenspiel sounds like it could be more accurate
0: right i could leaf through this uh book right here and see who was playing what but whatever i mean the the feeling of the song i think i'm i'm dead on i'm Laser sight. I know exactly what type of song this is. It sounds like the '50s.
1: Yeah, it's got. Um, I mean, if you look at the lyrics on the page, I mean, it's, it it sounds or reads like something that could have come off of National Skyline, um, it, just in terms of like the theme and the simplicity of the of the the words, uh, literally, if not for you, babe, I'd lay awake all night, wait for the morning light to shine in through, but it would not be new, if not for you. You know, it's not, um, uh, this isn't Mr. Tambourine Man, uh, I keep using that as the reference point for the big, long, complicated ones, i got to come up with better ones. Um, but um, it's not tangled up in blue. Um, but, uh, you know, even though it sounds or reads like a song that could come on Nashville Skyline, it, it definitely doesn't have the same kind of mood to it uh, that that record does. You know, it's it sort of like, like, inert might be the wrong word. Uh, That might be too harsh for this, but it doesn't, it doesn't have that vibe that, um, that the the country records or the country songs relied on to kind of uh, put themselves across in the absence of, you know, the classical kind of Dylan lyricism.
0: Right. I, I think it leaves you in a sort of interesting spot. Interesting, to be generous, as a listener. Where uh, you don't have the benefit of saying, oh, no, no, this is cool because this is what Dylan would do if he was doing country music. It's not straight up country music, but it's not vintage Dylan music. And if there's no um, overarching theme, then maybe there's not as much to fall back on to, to give him points for trying something. How do we take this? You just have to say, well, at least he's doing new stuff.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense, and you know, I, I guess to the contemporaneous listener, who would have just gotten through a long period of time without any new records, and then the first one they get back is self portrait, which certainly would have been a confounding album to confront. Uh, yeah, just just the idea of Dylan doing new, new, good sounding or original shit probably was enough at that point. You know, I saw that, like, Chris Gow, for instance, uh, I think had it as, like, number seven on his list of 1970s records, or 1970 year 1970 records, which I can't really come up with a bunch of 1970 records uh, right now off the top of my head, but if, if I were to recount them, I'm guessing that New Morning probably wouldn't look like the, the seventh-best record at this point uh, in this day and age.
0: No, um, no. Uh, but it did reach number seven, uh, funny enough, in the U.S., and it quickly went gold. And uh, so th- that's um, also his Dylan's sixth and last UK number one album until Together Through Life in 2009.
1: Right. The last little bit of overwhelming commercial success for him.
0: Actually, this should be updated because, um, at least in the U.S., there was really big success for Dylan's um, hit song, <laughs> Murder Most Foul, which actually charted number one. Number one? one. Yeah,
1: exactly. His fir- I, th- I believe that's actually his first number one U.S. album. Single. Yeah, um, it's true. It's on. You know, it's on all the all the, the the radio stations. Mixed in there with, um, yeah. I, I I don't even. I, I can't even make a good joke about what is played on the radio because I haven't heard it in six years. Um, they probably still play Drake on the radio. So, uh, uh, Drake. Yeah. Um, and Dylan. Uh, that that's all you're hearing in the summer of 2020.
0: So Dylan during this time was just recording so much. There was so there was a lot of recording happening, and. A lot of it is covers still. Yeah. Like most of it covers, 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 covers and old songs. Apparently the actual songs that ended up on New Morning, they were recorded very quickly and easily. It says here, Dylan's ninth album of originals, what became New Morning, once he abandoned the idea of including any covers, was actually recorded with remarkable ease. Its mutation into a finished artifact was far more torturous. So, while those tracks that made it onto the record were recorded, uh, sort of almost as an afterthought and just went went by like a breeze, there was a ton of deliberation on Dylan's part of what the concept was going to be for this thing. Changing the track listing, readjusting and adjusting it, and I think that that jives with the sort of the impression that we got going into this thing that. It feels a, a little light, like diet.
1: Sure, Dylan. Diet, Dylan. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not a bad uh, way to conceive of this. It's interesting to hear that he was mostly recording a bunch of covers and stuff at this point, and just kind of you know tossed off the originals in a short period of time. Because uh, it, it, it does uh, sort of seem like, it, at least at this point, fifty years on, it, like this period of time, he was kind of just like you know. Just doing whatever and, and trying to have a good time and like his 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 goals um, and uh, aspirations had been had been totally reoriented from you know the fire and brimstone uh, rock and roll preacher of nineteen sixty five to you know this this dad married dad with a house in Woodstock at this point who uh, you know, in 19, uh, look at look at like the you know social context in 1970, like the Vietnam War is raging. Obviously, the uh, hippie movement has burned out. Uh, Watergate hasn't come up yet. Um, it's kind of a dark, dark period, um, and and so all of the the promise and and hope I think that existed uh, with the you know the early wave of protest songs and stuff um, that Dylan was at the forefront of is, is it, it's gone by now. And so he all he is left to do is sort of turn inward, turn within himself, and, and find some sort of satisfaction in his own pleasurable, personal, private life of being a father, being a husband, uh, and just recording cover songs that he likes without really much of a, 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 an aim or uh, artistic goal beyond that.
0: You could, if you're being a little bit harsh, look upon Nashville skyline as a kind of band-aid adopting this country music uh, persona or aesthetic is something that he could ride for a while and it seemed like he was intending to ride for a little longer even but i think there was pressure uh that even a maverick like dylan at the time couldn't help but take notice of uh after being savaged by most critics for self-portrait i have to assume that the the record label. Wasn't too keen after that to have Dylan put out another batch of uh, country and um,
1: cover grab bag material. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this definitely uh, New Morning it definitely succeeds as a you know a a commodity or a product. You know, a, a tight a tight uh, easily digestible, uh, uh, easy listening kind of package of Bob Dylan originals. Yes. Um, but not, you know, not uh, Desolation Row or anything.
0: Famous, famous, easy listening song. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, Shall we roll along? Yeah. Day of the Locusts.
0: I think so. I love Day of the Locusts. Actually, I have to say, I think the first few songs, if not for you, Day of the locust, Time Passes Slowly, those first three, I think have a great flow to them. And it's like a record where, as, as I put it on, I'm already like anticipating this very specific intro that each song has. Right. And it, it feels uh, really effective. I think day of the locust is a great song for this record.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, day of the locust uh, uh, is another groovy, chugel kind of jam um, that, that's continuing the good vibe that we had uh, starting at the beginning of this record. Um, it, I think musically, that might be the more interesting like angle to come at this record from, or to think about it uh, from. Which I mean, musically, uh, you know, is is not often the most interesting element of Dylan records. Not to say that his music isn't interesting, the actual music part of it, but uh, that you know the lyrics obviously are so much more interesting. uh, Often that that's the focus. Um, But but I I do think musically, New Morning. is uh, you know I, I don't know if I would go so far, so far as to say breaking new ground necessarily, uh, but this is a much more kind of like piano and um, organ focused record um, uh, than anything that had come up until this point, and it starts to certainly by by the time we get to the second side I think and the like kind of the backing vocals and that that kind of gospely vibe uh, with the the choir. On some of these songs, it begins to anticipate some of the direction that he's going to go. You know, a decade from the, from now, or from 1970, with the Christian records. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the, uh, the I, I bring this up because Day of the Locust has got like a, a killer organ riff uh, right there in the in the middle of it um, that the whole song kind of is constructed around, um, and that's that's what I I vibe with most. Um, at least you know for for a couple of these tr-
0: a Dylan record that. Doesn't sound like vintage Dylan, but has its own sonic world that it kind of is comfortable in. Yeah, yeah. But I think streamlined is the word. Um, I don't know what this song's about, frankly.
1: I actually didn't either, but I was, you know, in my... I'm not doing quite as much in-depth research as you are um, with your Bible there, um, but I did uh, take a nice little... Nice little meander down the old Wikipedia page. Uh, And apparently this song is about uh, Bob's experience uh, receiving an honorary degree from Princeton University, uh, which he did not want to get, um, but was ultimately talked into going to receive by Sarah, his wife at the time, and uh, David Crosby, uh, funnily enough. Um, both of whom accompanied him down there uh, in a big stretch limousine, according to David Crosby, while they were smoking <laughs> a doobie. And, uh, and it was just very bad vibes at Princeton, according according to uh, the story. Uh, Bob didn't want to, well, not only did he not want to go originally, but when he arrived, they wouldn't give him the degree unless he put on a cap and gown uh, and, oh God. <laughs> and kind of uh, pranced along the stage, uh, which he obviously was not very um, happy to do. And so the entire... The entire thing uh, collapsed for a moment uh, at that impasse, but he was once again ultimately cajoled into donning the scholar's outfit of the cap and gown to receive his honorary degree, um, and then um, you know he got it and got out of there and, and was not was not particularly happy. Um, and the locusts side of things, Princeton's
0: uh, mascot,
1: yeah, uh, uh,
0: Princeton <laughs> mascot is locusts. It, uh,
1: uh, that may or may not be true. No, um, but. Uh, um, the Princeton, New Jersey was experiencing a 17 year, once in every 17 year locust infestation at the time that Bob went oh. down there to collect his degrees. So the locusts literally were there singing for him, um, but you know he was also kind of metaphorically uh, you know uh, drawing, a, drawing a line between these uh, academic um, uh, egghead types um, and, uh, and, and the humble locust.
0: How did I not get that from listening to this song? Yeah,
1: I I, I I, never got it either. seems so obvious. I never gave it really a second thought, like, what actually was going on in this record or on this song. I just kind of, you know, bopped my head Freudian along. Freudian slip. Uh, there. Yeah. Um, but um, what's the what's the line, right? Um, I stepped to the stage and received my diploma. Uh, it's it's very clear what what is going on here, if you know this. So, yeah, I put down my rope, picked up my diploma. Took hold of my sweetheart, and away we did drive straight for the hills, the Black Hills of Dakota. Black Hills of Dakota. Sure was glad to get out of there alive. Um, so, yeah, that gave is... Gave me a
0: chill. The locust sang, and it gave me a, a chill.
1: Yeah. Clearly... All right. Not very happy with uh, with Princeton, New Jersey, and, you know, who can blame him?
0: Sure. Well, time passes on, and uh, how does it pass, Ian? Uh, time passes, it passes slowly, slowly. Yes. And that's the next song. This song actually feels a little bit to me like a premonition of, in some sense, like the, the vibe of stuff you'll hear on Blood on the Tracks. Uh, for whatever reason, like time passes slowly out here in the mountains. Like something about Bob as sort of this w- woodsman uh, traveling man, which I think i at least i associate with like the bob of of blood on the tracks talking about you know working odd jobs or or whatever it's it's nice it's it's got a lot of imagery about places walking beside fountains and so on
1: yeah it's uh you know there's not not a whole lot going on uh to this one i don't think um i don't i don't know that i see this uh, with much of a relationship to what's going on on, on blood of the tracks I, I guess i do i see what you mean like in terms of like you know some of the imagery and, and stuff that he addresses but like this is this is like a very stripped down and like very simple kind of not only sound musically but lyrically as well there's not a whole lot going on there and by the time we get the blood on the tracks he's kind of he's kind of readopted that that verbose uh storytelling uh persona um and going on these wild flights of fancy, Um, uh, you know, an idiot win and and tangled up in blue and, and um, uh, Jack of hearts and stuff like that. So um, this, uh, uh, this song is achieving something or not achieving something. um, I think that, that he does um, uh, refocus on, you know, a couple years down the line at this point, Um, this, I I think the sound of this song is the most interesting thing to me. This uh, almost sounds like a demo to me for some reason, like the, the the component parts of the song like there's a there's a drum kit um, that's just off on one channel like if you're listening to headphones it's isolated on the right channel kind of in the back um, and then you've got kind of like a twiddly weird like squelchy guitar sound um, that uh, that doesn't sound terribly proficiently played then um, you've got kind of a pounding piano as well um, but none of them like there isn't any attempt to kind of get them to to knit together into a coherent sound the way that we you know have on the first couple songs on this record um, it uh i don't know it's it, it's it's a weird kind of, it, it almost feels like a deliberate bit of sabotage uh on this record to me where like you know we've got these first two songs on this record Bob is back good vibes um and and we're we're down to groove um and now we we collide with this song and it's just kind of a Um, a momentum killer, but it seems like a momentum killer like deliberately placed there. I don't
0: know. I still stick by this song being a little bit, it gives me just a, I got that blood on the tracks feeling just him talking about um, you're searching for love and you're, you're lost in a dream and you're walking around. It just, it, it makes me think of like the guy walking around in simple twist of fate or the sort of wandering man and tangled up in blue. Um, sort of searcher type of guy. I don't know, I think it's a totally fine song about living your life. One of these just one of these another another day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it is it is what it is. Um I I I think that's interesting though like um you talking about the again kind of relationship with blood on the tracks uh, or it it's making me think uh, for me a little bit like what's what's missing on a record like this where like what this song lacks that something like simple twist of fate has uh, in spades is this like sense of pathos and like this deep sadness. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like this deep kind of, um, uh, but, but like more than sadness, like vividness, um, uh, like a three, mm. a three dimensional quality to it. Um, Cause this, this song clearly like, you know, the, whether it's Bob or, you know, some nameless, uh, you know, country bumpkin uh, who, who our narrator uh, is, um, once I had a sweetheart she was fine and good looking. Uh, we sat in her kitchen while mama was cooking stared out the window to the stars high above. Time passes slowly when you're searching for love. So this guy you know doesn't doesn't have his baby uh, at, at the moment so he is presumably down about that. but there isn't like it, it we' we're, we're, we don't have that that deeper like I said three-dimensional quality to what's going on here that you get with some of those character studies on, on some of the records that are gonna come later. Um, and so when all you can kind of vacillate between is like, you know, happy-go-lucky, let the good times roll, Bob, like we see on the first couple of these tracks, and then this mm-hmm. kind of just like, you know, uh, plodding, not um, not terribly sharp uh, kind of pining song that we've got here. Like there's just not, it, it, there's there's not a lot there.
0: My overall feeling, really, with this record is that there's something missing in terms of direction, that he's not picking the root of I'll be your baby tonight. And he's not doing anything that's more emotionally uh, charged than that either. It's somewhere in between. Right. And that is just not going to be as, uh, as exciting. So I really feel that way about the next song. Actually <laughs> um, went to see the gypsy is a song that I've listened to it a lot lately. Cause I've just been trying to refresh my memory and it just goes in one ear and out the other. The only thing that I remember of this song practically is that little Minnesota town when he says that.
1: Right at the end. That's a nice that's a nice little note to end on. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think... I mean, I, I like the va- the sound. I, it's just kind of like drinking a glass of room temperature water.
1: <laughs> I think there's a little more going on to it than, than just that. Um, I, I think this... Uh, this song succeeds a little bit more for me on the strength of the music. Once again, like it, we've got a bit of that, um, a bit of that groove um, back here um, on um, on this song. It's a, it's a little more driving and, and um, not rocking necessarily, um, but uh, you know it's it's got a sense of jugal to it. You you keep saying jugal. Yeah, chugle. Uh it, credence. You know jugal for the listener at home. Uh is a concept uh, that was first explicated, at least to my knowledge, by uh, the Great Credence Clearwater Revival. The the Credence song, uh, Keep on Chuglin, um, uh the lyrics of which go Keep on Chuglin, Keep On Chugalin', Keep On Shuglin, uh, Chugalin' Chuglin, chuglin may, maybe you don't understand it, but if you're a natural man, you've got a ball and have a good time, and that's what I call Chugalin. Um, and so that uh the the sound that was kind of um, uh, in it, not enlisted, but invent not invented even uh, the sound that they used on birthed. that song that about was given birth to. The, perfect, the sound that they birthed on "Keep on Shuglen, uh has got this kind of uh, good vibes uh, country groove tune uh, and sort tone of a Chuglin uh, so sound it needs, to it. Exactly. Any other song that has that same kind of vibe, which at this particular moment in Bob's career, I think he he was he was moving in that direction. Um, you know, I, I think has got a, has ha, can be aptly described as as Chuglin. Um, well, there you go. So that's 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 uh, that's your credence uh, two minutes history lesson for the day. Maybe the reason
0: I can't remember this song that well and it doesn't really stick with me is just because it's like a frequency that you know only a Chuglin man. Right is really going to feel this thing. And maybe when I've listened to it, I've just not been at peak Chugel, And I, I need to actually look inward and think about what the fuck is wrong with
1: me. I think, I think that might be it, Evan. I think you need to, um, next time you listen to this song, before you listen to this song again, you need to achieve a certain level of Chugel within yourself. Uh, and then maybe you'll be able to, to vibe with it. Um, You know, a little more than you you've been able to. Can you
0: give me a stat? I want to know how many times this song has been played. Uh, Zero. (laughs) Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that the word gypsy is no longer considered politically correct?
1: Um, Nah, probably not, to be honest. Okay. Because I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't don't think, uh, I don't think Bob was terribly concerned about PC culture in 1970, um, uh, much less you know today. But uh, I do think it's interesting that the gypsy here appears to be a male figure. Yeah,
0: right? I didn't realize that until pretty recently. Uh, I always sort of imagined uh, a gypsy woman, sort of uh, a lady. Right. And and yet now now I'm picturing, like, the villain from
1: Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stromboli. Stromb- the great Stromboli, that's right. Hmm, I, yeah. I could go for a Stromboli. Do you um, think that... He, oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Do but, I think...
0: But do you think that um, Bob Dylan has seen Pinocchio?
1: Hmm. Um, I think he has. I think that he. I think he has uh, been in the same room uh, that Pinocchio As has Pinocchio been playing, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that Bob uh, has made an active decision uh, himself to say I'm going. I'm going to sit down and uh, watch Pinocchio right now.
0: You know, an interesting fact. So when Bob Dylan was growing up, his family, some family member, owned all the movie theaters in, in his town. In Minnesota? Yes. And so Bob ostensibly could, when he was a young man, he could go and see any movie he wanted uh, for free. I didn't know that. In In Hibbing.
1: Hibbing, Minnesota, yeah.
0: During the height of... American cinema, practically, or the almost golden age of, of cinema. So uh, he probably did see Pinocchio. Maybe
1: he did see Pinocchio. then. Uh, when, I mean, didn't Pinocchio come out like in the 30s or something? 40s. Or 40s? So uh,
0: maybe he didn't see Pinocchio.
1: Yeah. I just, uh, I don't think that you could, uh, you know, it, it was a little. I'm sure they
0: played it. They, I'm sure in the back in those days they would play Pinocchio like when they didn't have a new movie and they'd be like, well, we have Pinocchio.
1: Right, yeah, I guess maybe they only had like six cartoon, or six Disney movies that they could uh, cycle through at that point. The Disney yeah. vault uh, wasn't quite as built out by then. Interestingly, just one last note on this song before we proceed along uh, towards the end of this first side. Uh, again, our good friends on Wikipedia, someone seems to claim uh, that uh, Went to See the Gypsy is in fact about Bob meeting Elvis, uh, and that the gypsy is the king himself. Oh, which could make sense considering we've got that line. He did it in Las Vegas, and he can do it here.
0: Uh, uh, Wow, that's so true. And that actually, that is a great delivery when he says Las Vegas, or the way he sings that is uh, so beautiful. You,
1: (laughs) you you nailed that one.
0: I I take it back. I love this song. Uh, Next, (laughs) Winterlude.
1: Uh, yeah, so we get, to, we get to the end of side A here with Winterlude and then Dogs Run Free, this kind of uh, uh, yeah. one-two uh, one, uh, combo. Sh-
0: a shot and chaser.
1: Yeah, exactly. A tra- I think
0: a shot and a shot, really. <laughs> um. A chaser and a chaser.
1: Yeah, if, if we're going to uh, conceive of time passes slowly, or if I'm going to claim that time passes slowly is a bit of deliberate self sabotage on this on this record, or at least this side of the record, Winter um, "Winterlude" and "Dogs Run Free" are uh, you know uh, attempted suicide, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
0: and maybe dog dog murder, um, right? Possibly I'd, animal cruelty. I can't
1: say like I have any idea. I can't say I have any idea what is going on, what the aim was with either of these. I feel like we have to kind of, like, talk about them both in context with one another because they they go hand in hand.
0: I actually have some theories about if dogs run free. I, Winterlude I am a little bit less sure about. I don't like Winterlude. I don't like it very much.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I can't say I'm a huge fan either.
0: It's just like, what's the premise here that that her name is Winterlude, but then it's just it sounds like interlude, and it's like, I, and and this dude thinks you're grand. Like I think
1: that is that is for me the the high point of Winterlude mm-hmm. is Bob referring to himself as a dude. This is a dude's rock song.
0: Is it though? Uh,
1: well, he calls himself a dude, so that's that's good enough for me. I guess he does. I
0: think of him, his use of "dude" here as being in like the antique sense of the word, like a sort of a cowboy, like a, like a dude ranch type, th- that sort of dude. I could see but, that. Uh, Winterloo. De- 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 it just sounds, yeah, whatever. I mean, speaking yeah. of Pinocchio, I mean, this just sounds like sort of puppet music.
1: It definitely is a little monotonous, like the you know, the, this is one that I I would I would never. I would never skip a song on a Bob Dylan album. God, no. But if I were to skip a song on a Bob Dylan album, Winterlude would be a leading candidate for the song that I would skip first.
0: Well, well, we're all really anxious to get to the next one, if dogs run free. So I I understand, you know, sort of like being really, you know, sweat sort of pooling uh, in your shirt and and on on your forehead because you want to hear if dogs run free.
1: Uh, that's that's fair. Yeah, you do. You're, you're really just hounding for it um, by this by this point in the record. Oh, uh, you're howling.
0: You're,
1: uh, you're a- scratching a- at the door. Yeah. Um, you're in heat for dogs run free.
0: Yeah, you're a dog and you want to piss all over this thing. Um, <laughs> Bob Dylan grew up sort of alongside and adjacent to the beat, uh, poetry scene. There's an influence on what we have here with, uh, with if dogs run free, this jazzy spoken word beat poetry, sort of bullshit. <laughs> it, it, if you listen to these recordings that exist of Jack Kerouac reading his poetry in like, uh, I believe it's the mid to late sixties. Mm. Um, with like smooth sort of jazzy accompaniment that was added on basically i think that this song is a nod to the the beat world the the poetry beatnik bongos little soul patch uh scene
1: sure uh yeah i mean that that definitely is the the touchstone for the song i think i think my my confusion or or what puzzles me is um is is this a uh, sincere gesture in that direction towards the Kerouacs and the Ginsbergs and such? Uh, obviously, Bob was was pals with Allen. Um, or is is this Bob just tongue in cheek, kind of uh, you know uh, doing his best to uh, appear as if he's gesturing that in that direction, while at the same time totally making fun of them and spewing out this nonsensical bullshit uh, lyric about dogs running free across swooping plains uh, and tapestries of rhyme. Um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, it, it's I, I, I can't tell, to be honest.
0: I mean, I, I think that the lyrics are, are kind of the least offensive thing about this one. It's really the execution musically that gets me uh, <laughs> a little bit... Um, like I'm, like I'm eyeing the skip button, but let's talk about that. This, this uh, female vocal accompaniment that that exists on here, it's right. like this sort of high-pitched like scatting. That's scatting just kind man. of that scatting almost sounds like, like intentionally a little bit goofy. Right. Uh, yeah.
1: Imp- I I think the whole thing sounds like a joke.
0: Yeah. I mean, it could be. It could be a sort of parody of that uh, coffee shop bongo and soul patch scene, but the lyrics aren't that, f- they're not funny exactly. It's not like you're seeing Bob do anything that comes across as particularly uh, cartoonish. It's, it's subtle if it's, a, it's, if it's a jab at that type yeah. of thing
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's definitely not um explicitly um uh, parody necessarily um but it does it does have the the ring of the kind of track or the kind of lyric at least that you know you would just pick up in, in some like zine in some shitty um coffee shop that was written by some you know uh, dumbass that never uh, never did shit um it doesn't really have that the the Dylan magic to it um no.
0: and it's it's definitely just it doesn't sound like the type of vibe you would ever
1: expect
0: to hear dylan in it's, it's just like what squidward would go to see <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly it's squidward going out for a night on the town he wants
1: to hear this it's uh, just missing a clarinet this is not uh, this is not i think what anyone is looking for from old bob which i assume bob is well aware of um but whereas that has been a successful move for him at certain points in his um in his discography this is definitely not a not a direction that he ended up pursuing um in in the years that followed for good reason
0: i love thinking about the other version that we talked about earlier the the alternate track listing for this record (laughs) imagining one where it does end on uh if dogs run free (laughs) and you're left on this cliffhanger like oh my god is this like what the next album is. It, is the next album going to just be like this? It's all, like, yep. Some records, the last song kind of is a wink to you about this is where I'm headed. Yeah,
1: well, that's what he did on, on John Wesley Harding, right? With I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. And then, you know, he, right. he does a, he has a different vocal styling by the time we get to Nashville Skyline, but that's a clear kind of anticipation of the country turn that he's about to take. So, uh, yeah, that would, have been, that would have been a good uh, fuck you to everyone that was listening
0: terrifying, <laughs> terrifying ending. But one thing I want to say just briefly is there's a sort of vibe that's very hard to pin down of like, what is a singer songwriter doing in 1970? And you look around and you see other examples of this too. Uh, Till the Band Comes In by Scott Walker uh, came out in January 1st, um, 1970. Randy Newman's self titled album from 1968. Mm-hmm. They All all these three records, they, they all sort of have a portrait of the artist very straight up on the cover. And they all feature some kind of pretty weird experiments in the male singer-songwriter genre. Right. I think it's just worth exploring. Like, ex- uh, what was the zeitgeist of, like, the singer-songwriter in 1970, in the late 60s? I think there's a sort of attempt at experimentation, reinvention, maybe a little bit of a panic about, well, what is, how do we push this forward? What is next right. for music?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the party, the party is over by, by this point. Um, you know, the Beatles are uh, broken up and uh, Hendrix is dead. The, uh, the 60s have come to a crashing end. So, yeah, I think, I think it is clear that at this point in time, a lot of people were kind of out, out in a wilderness with their, uh, with their recorded output, and uh, and that's why you see kind of a varying sense of quality between all of it. Some of, some of it is, you know, is, is all right, and then some of it uh, a little less so. And someone like Bob starts to begin to take a back seat to um, you know, to, to other people who are going to push things forward over the next you know year, two years, three years. Notably, of course, our good friend Lou.
0: Lou Reed. Yes. Yes. But even Lou Reed, what was he doing in 1970?
1: Uh, He was recording the uh, last Velvet Underground record. Or the last Lou Reed Velvet Underground record that wasn't um, uh, the Doug Ewell squeeze record. Um, uh, Loaded. Came out in 70. Alright, never mind.
0: I wasn't making a point there. <laughs> Sweet Jane,
1: baby. Well, on that note, uh, we, we've gotten through winter lewd and dogs run free, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, so maybe it's time to uh, just flip this record and see what awaits us on side B.
0: Alright. Uh, I hope you join us next time. If you're still interested in this one.
1: I also hope that.
0: Cool. <laughs> this has been Joker, Men.
1: A podcast about Bob
0: Dylan. That's so good. That is this every time. That's so
1: smart. That's why I'm here. All right.